Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. The season is over. I, I can't believe it. It feels like we're in week seven of the year, but the season is over. We are getting ready for the postseason. Today, we're going to wrap up a bit of the news we saw over the weekend, some coach firings on Monday, and we're going to talk about one of the collapses of the second half of the season with someone who's been watching them very closely. Joining me to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars, unfortunately for him as a Jaguars fan, as someone who watches the Jags closely, but also uh, talk about these coach firings and some of the big decisions we saw or didn't see on Monday. Is someone I've been meaning to have on the show for a while, great football writer for SB Nation and other places, great follow on Twitter as well, is football writer JP Acosta. JP, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I feel like this is the perfect spot to talk about football, but also get in as many wrestling references as possible. <laughs> yes, I, I, I will see. I want, I want you to try and sneak something in that only myself and Nate Tice will, will be aware of. Oh, this is gonna be so much fun. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to that. That is, that is, I did not occur to me, but that's 100% correct. Um. We have a lot to get to. It's been a really interesting couple days. Um, like I said, we'll get to the Jag stuff in a minute, but let's start with some of the news we saw over the last 24 hours. And that starts with 12.01 a.m. Eastern, where the Falcons did not want to go to bed sad, didn't want to go to bed mad. They went to bed knowing they had fired Arthur Smith. So eventful day for Arthur Smith. He gets blown out against the rival Saints. Um, with the opportunity to potentially make it to the playoffs if things had broken his way, which they did not. He gets his team, they run up the score on them. Jameis Winston goes rogue and uh, ignores Dennis Allen's uh, decision to kneel near the goal line. They score a Jamal Williams touchdown. Arthur Smith is furious. That is going to be our last image of that man as a Falcons head coach, if not an NFL head coach so let's start here jp just in terms of the arthur smith era had you seen enough do you think it was fair to say it was time for him in atlanta after three straight seven and ten seasons or do you think there was more on the bone maybe they had more uh they could have fixed maybe with a different quarterback if arthur smith had come back for year four I think it was time. It had to be after three straight seven and 10 seasons. This is going to be the third straight year. You're picking number eight, which is incredibly funny, by the way. You just never, never getting better, never getting worse. You are constantly <laughs> number eight. You are, you are just far enough out of quarterback sweepstakes, but in it to always draft Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London, and then do nothing after that. And that really feels like the Arthur Smith era in a nutshell. The biggest mm -hmm. thing that I just remember from this season specifically of the Arthur Smith Atlanta Falcons is the Titans game where it was a goal line play where Johnu Smith is in the backfield. They toss it to Johnu Smith who throws it to McCole Pruitt and Kyle Pitts is blocking. <laughs> and that just felt like the entire Arthur Smith era. It felt like he was always trying to be smarter than everybody else. He was trying mm -hmm. to constantly, Oh, I know more than you. Like, yeah, there's a reason we're not using Bijan Robinson this much. Like, go ahead with your fantasy football stuff. And, like, of course, you're going to see a lot of coaches get mad at that. But mm -hmm. when it's clear you are not maximizing the players that you have, it becomes a problem. And then the constant missteps at quarterback. And it's not like 
he was strapped to these guys. He chose Marcus mm -hmm. Mariota. He chose Desmond Ritter, chose Taylor Heineke. Like you had all these other options, mm -hmm. but you kept trying to bargain bin this entire operation. And it ultimately didn't work in a division that was very clearly up for grabs. No question. Absolutely. With you would figure competent quarterback play and better offense, they would have won the division. I thought the defense was pretty good this year. Jesse Bates was really good. They got a, you know, another resurgent season out of Calais Campbell, who's been doing this since, I mean, before the Jags, since I was in high school, I feel like Calais Campbell's been incredible uh, up front. They have talent on both sides of the football. No question. You mentioned all the playmakers. The thing that I, I think it comes down to for me is this, you know, if, if you're not going to throw the ball a ton, okay, you don't have to plenty of offenses work running the football at a high level. If you're not going to involve the guys you prioritize with top 10 picks, if you're going to give quarter Patterson, the ball on, on a fourth down near the goal line or a third down near the goal line, as they did last week. Okay. That's fine. You don't have to do that, but you have to get results. And the big difference between the 2022 Falcons and the 2023 Falcons is, 2022 Falcons offense was frustrating, but it was good. Like by the numbers, I think it was like top 12 in DVOA. It was 15th in points scored per game. They weren't playing at a super fast pace. So I think they're even better than those, those, you know, game by game numbers. If you're going to be weird, you got to succeed. If you're not going to be weird, you, if you don't succeed, at least you can say, okay, we we're building around our stars. But if you're going to use those guys as decoys after taking them so high in the draft and your offense stinks, that is going to come back and bite you and i think that's what eventually came back to bite arthur smith here is it felt like there was just this disconnect like he was not aware that terry fontenot was going to draft all these playmakers in the top 10 and arthur smith almost like begrudgingly was stuck with all these players who he suddenly had to find reps for when he really just wanted to dial up leak to johnny smith or like you said the johnny smith um, you know, backfield pass play, like he's Justin Jefferson or something. I think it's clear he loves coaching. Like, I think you can tell Arthur Smith really likes the process of coaching. And I think there were times where the stuff he drew up looked good. Like there were some times he made big plays. Johnny Smith had a good season. And like, so he got more out of Johnny Smith than Bill Belichick and the Patriots did by far. But it just felt like there was this disconnect. And Frankly, if the Falcons were not going to use those guys, they would have been better off taking an offensive lineman, taking a pass rusher, taking guys who they actually were going to prioritize or maybe more than anything else, draft a quarterback. Because like you said, they were not willing to take that big step. They were one of the first teams who came out and said, we are good on Lamar Jackson. I think Arthur Blank has come out since and said, uh, we couldn't make it work under the cap, which I guarantee you if they wanted to sign Lamar, they could have found a way to make it work for an offer sheet under the cap. It, it just felt like, 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 like the two different sides of this building were doing two different things. And in the long run, it came back to bite Arthur Smith. Yeah, and I think you ultimately saw that play out because Arthur Smith was the one who got canned and not Terry Fontenot. Like it was clear that one guy was going to get the blame mm -hmm. for all of this because he wasn't the one involved in the acquisition of the personnel, the acquisition of the players. You know, I think Terry Fontenot, I think that GM and brain trust, they've done a rather good job of rostering and getting talent. Mm -hmm. Again, you go out and sign Jesse Bates, who has been an all-pro this year and elevated that level of defense. But it's just the constant missteps at the most important position in football that's ultimately going to sink you. And really, I think Arthur Smith is just fine. Like, I think he should, he'd be just fine just calling plays. 
Mm-hmm. I think a lot of I think a lot of guys, I think a lot of coordinators in the NFL are just fine. Just call and play. You don't have to be a head coach. Like there's a lot more that goes into that than just, oh, let me call up this. Let me just dial up this mm-hmm. cool leak play to John Smith. And while we'll enjoy it watching <laughs> the game, it's like, hey, maybe you can do this with some of your best players and not <laughs> get tight in. And that'd be really cool. But it just felt it always felt like no matter how cool the Falcons offense looked, it was always going to get undermined by the quarterback that Arthur Smith chose. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, Mariota ran hot and cold last year. The numbers, I think, were better than how it looked on paper on a week to week basis. And certainly, I think by the time he got taken out late in the season it felt like everyone wanted that to be the case they did not go out and make a significant addition Desmond Ritter they seem to have a lot of faith in him after that final month of the year last year the guy I compared it to all offseason was Davis Mills where I just felt like they had a month of like okay performances and they were using that as reason to not bring in anybody to really challenge um uh Desmond Ritter I mean even if they had just brought in someone like Jacoby Brissett I feel like that would have been a a significant upgrade at quarterback in case they had to move away from Ritter, which they did multiple times over the course of the season. The other situation, speaking of Jacoby Brissett, I wasn't even trying to do that segue, and I did by accident, is Washington, where Ron Rivera was fired on Monday morning. Just to say it was a a well-kept secret or a poorly-kept secret would undermine the concept of secrets. Like, this was to think something everyone knew was going to happen. Um, at the midway point of the year, felt like this was a lame duck situation. Ron Rivera, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think anyone's really going to question the firing given the circumstances with the new ownership group coming in, given the record, the performance over the past few years. But what I want to ask you, JP, is this: in terms of these situations, you have a Commanders team that clearly does not have as much talent as the Falcons. But they have the second overall pick, which means they are in position to take one of the top quarterbacks in this year's class without having to move up or give up future capital or do anything else. They have extra draft picks from the Montez, Sweat, and Chase Young trades. They have a few talented young players or talented players in their prime, with Terry McLaurin being maybe the most notable of those players. But you look at the Falcon side of things, they have more talent on defense. The playmakers certainly are very good. The offensive line is not bad at all. Um, they just have questions at the most important spots in an organization, head coach and quarterback. So from your perspective, JP, do you think the Falcons job is more desirable or do you think the commander's job is the more desirable of the two? Hmm. It's a That's a really good question. I think it depends on who the coaching candidate is. If it's somebody mm-hmm. who is kind of a retread hire at head coach who just wants to get somewhere where they already have mm-hmm. talent and they need just they need a requisite level of coaching to get over the hump. I would choose the Falcons. Like you said, they have the talent there. It's just making that one critical, like that one missing piece that's needed. But mm-hmm. if I was choosing somewhere where it's like, oh, this is my first head coaching job, you get a blank slate like the commanders have. You have the skill position talent you need to revamp that offensive line a little bit the quarterback has got got to get a new quarterback in there the defense is going to need some help but you can truly create that team in the image of what you want Mm -hmm. as a head coach I think I would choose the commanders because you know that you're going to get that second over overall pick and you will have at least three years to work with them 
you'll have the requisite time to kind of develop that guy and see how far you can go. With the Falcons, you're sitting, again, you're on the outside looking in of the quarterback stakes. You're hoping that you can trade for a guy, maybe a Justin Fields in a trade with Chicago. Please, God, please. Why? This is all I want this offseason is just Justin Fields to go to the Falcons. It makes sense for everybody involved, which is why I'm afraid it's not going to happen. It's just so perfect to, for them to kind of Thanos, like you couldn't live with your own failure in <laughs> for pits, and now you're going to come back to it a couple of years later and just go, why not have both? You know, mm -hmm. like I, I think it's a really smart, it's a good spot for Fields. I think Chicago and Fields kind of need a mutual parting of ways mm -hmm. for both of them to kind of grow and succeed outside of that environment. But I mm -hmm. really do think the commanders have a lot of, a lot of things that a young head coach, a first time head coach would want. And especially with a new ownership group that is willing to both a throw money at this situation, which we've mm -hmm. seen hiring Bob Myers and Rick Spielman as their kind of hiring group, that advisory board, they're mm -hmm. willing to go throw money at this. And also you're going to get time, you know, you're going to get a lot of time to fix this. So I would choose commanders. If I was a first year head coach, just wanting to try and build something in my image. But if I'm a retread guy, give me, give me the Falcons and everything that they have already. And let me see if I can just put one piece in there to kind of put it over the top. Man, that's a really good answer. I'm jealous. I didn't think of that. I'm going to steal that. I think I put that in my column. Um, that was really good. That's a really smart way. I think of approaching this situation. I, I, what I think is interesting is that from the ownership perspective, I mean, Arthur Blank has been extremely patient historically, unless you are Bobby Petrino. Um, <laughs> he's been very patient with you. Um, you know, he gave Dan Quinn several years after it kind of felt like he was done. Mike Smith was there. Mike Smith was there for like two or three years after it felt like he was kind of time for him to go. I'm a little surprised he moved on from Arthur Smith after three years. I kind of felt like given Blank's history, he might have been uh, a little more patient with Arthur Smith, but maybe this tells us I mean, Arthur, I mean, Arthur Blank, I think, is very well liked um, around the NFL. He's not the youngest guy in the world. Maybe he is getting more aggressive thinking, I want to win a Super Bowl um, and I want to see that happen in the next few years. And I, I wonder if that means maybe they're more likely to go for, like you said, a veteran coach or a retread coach or a guy who thinks we are just two play, you know, one one coach and one quarterback away. And I think that's going to be a really interesting spot. They're going to have, I think, a lot of people who think that job is really enticing. Maybe some people who think the job is not enticing at all because of the quarterback situation. And I, I'm intrigued to see. I mean, the commanders, they're they're setting their sights high. Like they're they're out for Ben Johnson, they're out for Mike McDonald, they're out for the most prominent uh candidates in this cycle. We'll see if they're able to land any of them with the resources they have and the opportunity they have with the second overall pick and sort of that blank slate, like you said. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. 
hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. What coach who was not fired on Monday, despite plenty of rumors that that would be the case, was Bill Belichick, where Bill Belichick uh, spoke to the media and he said, basically, some effect of, I'm willing to give up personnel control if it means it's best for the organization, which to me, I I don't know what you think of it, but kind of sounds like he wants to do what it takes to keep his job in New England. I wasn't sure if he was just going to be like, well, screw it. You know, I don't care. Either I'm shopping for the groceries or I'll go somewhere else or you know, it kind of seems like he's being conciliatory given the circumstances. So from your perspective, JP, um, thinking about Belichick with the Patriots, number one, are you surprised he's still there as we record this Monday evening? And number two, do you think that offer of giving up some personnel control, maybe all personnel control, maybe it's just going to be a coach. Do you think that makes the possibility of Belichick coming back to new England more realistic? So I never really got into the Bill Belichick is leaving New England thing. Really? Okay. I just think they're they're tied at the hip. I think if if it was if it were to happen that Bill would end up leaving the Patriots, I don't think he would coach in the NFL again. I just think they those two are tied together. It is Bill and the Patriots, which is why I think him saying he would give up personnel and personnel decisions is so profound because this kind of feels like, hey, I'm doing whatever it takes to stay here. And really, I think that's been the biggest problem for the Patriots. It's been the Patriot way has been kind of they've taken bits and pieces out of the brain trust. You know, it's kind of like when you have like, say you have this huge faction and just people just keep getting picked off. You put them all in different places and now you end up with road dog as the only person in the back. <laughs> and like, yeah, road dog is cool, but it's not same. It's not same as it was in like the nineties. So I just, I think getting new, new ideas, especially mm-hmm. into that room is going to help so much, even if Bill can just stay. And I think he's done a good job developing some of that defensive talent. Like, before he got hurt, Christian Gonzalez was playing at a really high level. Kyle Duggar's fantastic. Christian mm-hmm. Barmore is playing fantastic. Jelani Tavai has been one of my favorite players to watch. Mm-hmm. That's because of how they use him in so many different ways. I just think they need some new ideas in the Patriot Way hive. It might not look like the Patriot Way, but maybe a remixed version of it in 2024 mm-hmm. might be a better, better thing for Bill and Patriots going forward. Can I give you a stat that blows that blew my mind when I found it? I couldn't. I'd like triple check to make sure it was true. What the the Patriots have been the best defense in football by points per possession in the second half of the season, while inheriting like some of the worst field position in all of football. I think the second worst or tied for the worst field position in all of football. They have allowed fewer points per possession, fewer points per drive than any other defense in football. And I mentioned that last night when I was recording with uh, Dominique and Charlie Kravitz. And I asked them, like, can you guys name any players on the Patriots defense? And I wasn't saying it to be a jerk or be like, oh, look at all the, the, the film I'm watching. I could name a few. I mean, I could name Duggar and Tavai and yeah, Mac Wilson playing well. Anthony Jennings has been exciting and good. Um, but like, 
this is not a defense with stars. I mean, their two best players, Judon and Gonzalez, are both out for the year. And to me, I think that really reinforces like the idea that Bill Belichick can still coach. I, I do not think like when I hear people hear people say things like, oh, he's lost touch, he doesn't know how to deal with young players. That's nonsense. I don't buy that for a second. Like this dude is still coaching. His players still care about him, still want to play for him. Um, they're they've been legitimately good on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, he needs help in terms of fixing the offense. Yes, they need fresh blood. Yes, they need new ideas, whether that's going to be with new people, whether it's going to be with Bill O'Brien sort of getting more control over the offense and being able to run up the way they were running it at Bama, whether it means just getting more actual talent in the building and seeing what that does for the confidence of the people involved who are are running things on a day-to-day basis. But like, this dude can still coach. I, I really believe that. And if the Patriots move on from Bill Belichick, which I, I've advocated for them not to do that, I, I agree with you in that. I don't think they should. Um, whatever benefits they might get, they might get a better offensive coach. They probably will get a coach who's more knowledgeable about offense and maybe more more knowledgeable is the wrong word, but just you know maybe better at putting together a modern offense in terms of the personnel situation. But like, there's no guarantee, and I think it's extremely likely, frankly, they take a step backwards on defense because they don't have this guy who. It's not just, you know, making stars out of Gonzalez and Judon after he'd signed him in free agency, but, you know, guys like Jelani Tavai, who were, you know, not exactly standouts elsewhere before coming to the Patriots and playing well. So I I still believe that the Patriots should keep him. I still think he is the best candidate available if he does leave. And I'm intrigued. You know, this again, like every report we had heard publicly from the various NFL insiders that said he's gone and he's not gone yet. And every day he's not gone, I think raises questions of are the Patriots going to keep him? Are they going to trade him? Are they going to negotiate some kind of solution where he does give up control and they want to hire somebody? It just feels like there's more up in the air maybe than it seemed like based on what the reporting was before week 18. Yeah. And going from one bill to another, Hey, Billy Gunn needed to be daddy in AEW. This is a, this is another one of those like, hey, maybe you get some new blood, some new ideas. That's especially the thing. Again, he got Jalen. Jalen Mills is playing safety for the Patriots and has played pretty well at a position that he hasn't played in the NFL before. So he can still go as a defensive coach and as a coach in general. It's just the talent acquisition on the offensive side of the ball. That's where you need the new ideas, the new minds to come in. Maybe it's, you know, bringing in somebody from like, hey, let's go see what the Ravens are doing. Or, hey, let's go see what the Chiefs are doing. Maybe bringing a guy who's just going to give new ideas, give new, yep. like, hey, let's not let's not have to do this Patriot way thing anymore. Let's, let's juice it up a little bit. Yeah, and I think the Patriot way was not necessarily about what worked in 2001 working now, like they were on the cusp of things in the past. They were the ones who went out and ran the spread in 2007 with uh, Tom Brady and all those receivers and revolutionized football. They were the ones who were, you know, went out and, and, and drafted Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and went more to tight end and sort of changed the meta of the NFL that way. Um, they were the ones who were bringing in Chip Kelly to talk about tempo and experiment with that before Chip Kelly joined the NFL. Like, they were on the cutting edge of offense for so long with Tom Brady helping in terms of what they can do. But that's what I find so strange is they were open-minded. They were aggressive. And now 
it feels like that is not the case. So I don't know. We will see. Um, Josh McDaniels was apparently at the the game last week. He stepped in the <laughs> VIP area, which, um, you know, one of those things where it's like, oh, Josh McDaniels spotted backstage. Is he going to sign with this company? And then it feels like a month later, he suddenly has a job with the company. So why is Josh McDaniels in the impact zone? What's he doing? <laughs> Okay, JP, I'm sorry. We, we've talked about other topics long enough. I feel like we need to get to the, the Jaguars. Again, I apologize putting you through this the day after. Everything that happened yesterday happened. But you're going to get to vent a bit about, the very least, about the defense. Because one of the other stories coming out of Monday was the Jaguars firing everybody on the defensive side of the ball. If you had a, a office on the defensive side of the building, you went home on Monday. Mike Caldwell and the I believe the entire defensive staff was fired. So we will talk about the offense, but first let's talk about the defensive side of things for the Jags. Do you think this move was warranted? Was it overdue? Do you think they're not to blame for what happened? How do you feel about the Jags basically deciding we need to start over on defense? I think it had to happen. The first half of the season was really good for this defense. It was it was what you would hope for in the second year of Mike Caldwell being mm-hmm defensive coordinator with the simulated pressures getting Josh Allen was is having a career year I think Brenton Buckner who's outside linebackers coach done a fantastic job with him and Trevon Walker but mm-hmm. post Bengals game the Jaguars had a problem tackling and there were coverage busts every week and it kind of mm-hmm. feels like a microcosm of the Jaguars season it was it never changed nothing was ever different it was always missed tackles blown coverages Jags lose That can't happen every week, week in and week out. You have to, if you're going to lose, lose in different ways. (laughs) Like you can't keep losing in the same way. You can't keep getting rolled up or else (laughs) we're just going to keep, I'm just going to keep getting an ad that you're getting rolled up. Like, Hey, grab the rope or something. (laughs) No more distraction finishes. Yes. You got to, got to get a distraction in there or something, but it just felt like they needed to move on because you cannot justify Going from eight and three to nine and eight and missing the playoffs, and something, something mm-hmm. player or coach wise doesn't happen. You cannot run it back anymore. Yeah, I think that's the frustrating part you mentioned is they were genuinely exciting and productive during the first half of the season. We saw Josh Allen, you know, take that step forward and be a really, really impactful pass rusher. Even he had that sack to set up that final drive for the Jags yesterday. Um, Foyasade Aluakon was having. You know, he's always going to break up a ton of numbers, but it felt like he was even playing at a higher level than he had been playing in seasons past. They had some injuries. Um, you know, certainly Tyson Campbell was missing for long stretches. Uh, but but at the same time, you know, I, I, this team has invested so much on the defensive side of the ball in terms of draft capital. And some of those guys are from prior regimes. Like, I'm not blaming um, Mike Caldwell for you know, Caleb on chase on like that's not, that's not his fault necessarily, but it, it does sort of feel like it, it, it did sort of feel like they did not have, or they were not heading in the right direction, I guess is what I would say. Like, like first half of year two, they're like, okay, they are heading in the right direction. They might be great by the end of the year. They're actually pretty good now. And it felt like it really did take a step backwards over the second half of the year. And that's, really disappointing because we're going to talk about the offense and it certainly had its faults, but it just felt like this was a team where as much as we thought Trevor Lawrence could level up and be, you know, 
be an MVP candidate this year, it felt like the defense could level up too and, and be a top 10, top 12 defense, which would make the Jaguars one of the best teams in football if things broke right. And it felt like everyone regressed over the final few weeks of the year. Yeah, that was really the thing going into this offseason. The reason they decided to run it back with everybody from a 9-8 and eight team last year was because they were hoping on the young guys to develop at a rapid rate. They were hoping for a step forward from Trevon Walker, who, which they got. Trevon Walker yeah. finished the season with 10 and a half sacks. Amazing year. Devin Lloyd was great the first half of the year, hit the wall again second half. Tyson Campbell in and out of the lineup. I think the biggest thing that stood out with the Jaguars defense in the second half outside of the missed tackling is the lack of depth. They have they have no other pass rusher to get versatile like when Mike Caldwell was in Tampa Bay, he was able to run a lot of different fronts, a lot of different coverages with getting multiple pass rushers on the field. You weren't able to do that as much in Jacksonville because your two best pass rushers were Trevon Walker and Josh Allen. They always had to be on the field because the moment they go off and you bring on a guy like Dewan Smoot, who was coming back from an Achilles injury, and Caleb Von Chison, who has been the worst pass rusher in football, <laughs> It just, the depth really showed up as a major problem, especially on the interior where you had to have guys like Jeremiah Ledbetter, Tyler Lacey play, Angelo Blackson. You just didn't have the requisite depth of a great team. And when you don't have the guys, the coaching has to make up for that. But really, it's just the Jaguar season in an entire nutshell was just a lack of depth and organizational failure i think that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned that something had to change about this coaching staff or about this team after all the disappointment in the second half of the season it felt to me from the outside as someone who's not part of jaguars twitter who just follows a lot of people who happen to be part of jaguars twitter somehow it felt like press taylor was kind of the person that people were really focusing on is this guy is the problem with this team. Are you surprised he's still in his position after Monday and seemed to get a vote of confidence from Doug Peterson? I'm not surprised because this was also Doug Peterson's downfall in Philadelphia. Keep holding on to Press Taylor and continuing to give him multiple swings at the bat despite the offense completely turtling within itself this, this season. It felt like you were always waiting for the breakout Jaguars game, the game where everything got put mm -hmm. together, but they couldn't they couldn't block up front, which completely throws off everything that the Jaguars yep. want to do. That was the entire plan. You get more development up front. You go and draft Britton Strange. You want to get in the 12 personnel and be able to run the ball, and you can take play-action shots off of that. That's what worked in the back half of last year. You didn't get that step up. I think this year... Uh, FTN Fantasy uh, tracks adjusted line yards. Last year, the Jaguars were 29th in adjusted line yards. They were really bad last year. This year, they were 31st. So oh, some no. went from bad to worse while also being dead last in the NFL percentage of runs that were stuffed, which were hit mm -hmm. at or behind the line of scrimmage. You couldn't, you couldn't block last year. Travis Etienne had 1,000 yards despite not, being, not having a good offensive line in front of him. That feels like a press Taylor problem as well as a personnel problem. They couldn't get into the play action. Like the, the biggest Jaguars plays this year were off of play action where Trevor Lawrence is able to throw it deep, but they couldn't consistently get to that either because the offensive line couldn't block or Taylor was not calling it. 
But I wasn't surprised that Press Taylor is staying because Doug genuinely believes, believes in him. He is he is his guy. He brought him from Philly. He was the reason he got fired in Philly. He was going to bring him back this time. So mm-hmm. it just feels like, again, they're going to go more. It's players, not coaches or organization, which we'll see because that's what happened last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... You mentioned the offensive line. It felt like they were never settled. Cam Robinson was suspended to begin the year. He was hurt for a stretch. We saw Walker Little play some left tackle. He was played some guard. He didn't seem like he was very good at guard. They bring in Ezra Cleveland. They trade for him in midseason. That seemed to at least give them like a guy who seems solid at guard. But the, the, the part that feels so depressing to me as someone who is watching from the outside is like, you're done with the Trevor Lawrence cheap years like 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 those three years if we have a, a legitimate dude making a fraction of what he's going to be worth that's no longer the case trevor lawrence is eligible for an extension this year and you know that they'll they'll smooth it out it'll certainly be cheaper than it would be for you know signing him anew as a free agent um in terms of what he gets and how that money spread out but this is the year where they should have had the most depth this is the year where they had the most resources to spend on stuff around the roster to supplement Trevor Lawrence being on a bargain deal. And that's not going to be as easy in the years to come. And that is depressing to me because it felt like this was a missed opportunity in so many ways this season. And I I don't know if Press Taylor is going to be better in the years to come. I don't know if they're going to have a better offensive line in the years to come. Certainly they have to make changes up front, I think, in 2024. And... I look at the the offensive core and the one guy who stands out as a major question mark to me is Calvin Ridley. And I want to know from your perspective, JP, do you think Calvin Ridley should be back? Do you think he will be back at wide receiver for the Jags in 2024? I think he will be back. I think you don't include those incentives with the Falcons for that trade unless there is like some sort of gentleman's agreement that, yeah, we're going to sign you and when you hit free agency, whether mm-hmm. it be – he plays so well and Jaguars were great and they signed it to an extension during the season. Or it kind of happens like this year where there were big games, but there were also some major, major timing issues. It was every week there was always Ridley ran in, Trevor threw it out. Or they were off. They were off somehow. So I think he will be back just because of the sheer numbers and you can't I don't think you can justify giving Atlanta a third round pick for a guy who essentially was a one-year rental. I think there is some sort of, I think they'll probably have some sort of like, Hey, Calvin hits free agency. And then they're like, Hey, we're going to resign you just to kind of skirt around giving Atlanta the second round pick. So you can keep that second round pick. But in terms of should, I mean, you you get really bare. The cupboard is really bare when it comes to the Jaguars receiving group. And it's not bare because of the talent. It's bare because it's sort of redundant where Christian Kirk is the motion slot. You get him into a bunch of different spots and he'll win in the intermediate level. That's also where Calvin Ridley wins. And Day Jones is the vertical threat, but he missed games with knee and hamstring issues. Mm-hmm. And you have Evan Ingram, who also wins in the short yardage. <laughs> yes. It's a bunch of guys who win after the catch. And this happened in Philly, too, 
like they had that year where they had Zach Ertz and they brought in, they traded for Golden Tate. Um, they had a bunch of guys where it was like, okay, you're going to win in the slot. Like, we, like all these guys ideally are in the slot or, you know, are running basic routes, running, you know, in, in routes over the middle of the field. And it was like, well, you guys need something else besides that. And I'm kind of shocked that they ran into a similar sort of problem in Jacksonville in terms of their roster construction. I think the biggest thing that stood out is they don't have an outside receiver that they trust mm-hmm. outside of Zay Jones. When Zay Jones went down, Calvin, it was clear that the trust was kind of, it was there, but the timing was off. And then behind mm-hmm. them, you have Tim Jones and Elijah Cooks, both of whom are 6'3", 6'4", but they could not be trusted in yeah. actual game situations. They The Jaguars need a receiver on the outside that they can trust that way you can use Calvin Ridley as the move guy. You can use Christian Kirk as the move guy. If you're not going to have Evan Ingram running vertically and you're going to have him running horizontally, you, you've constricted the offense to being three yards. Instead of three yards in a cloud of dust running, it's three yards in a cloud of dust screen mm-hmm. passes and RPOs and stop routes. The Titans at the end of the game on Sunday, they were just jumping all over the speed outs because mm-hmm. that's what the Jaguars do. They are a mm-hmm. speed out team, but you have no way of, you have no way of getting explosives. You are, you live in the 10 to 15 yard range. And when everybody's so redundant like that, it creates a really bad overlap. How, how much of this do you think was just the reality of Trevor Lawrence getting injured a bunch of times at the end of the year? Like, do you think if Lawrence stays healthy, they can sort of cover up the problems and so they end up making it to the postseason, even if they don't live up to expectations and and sort of Jag fans know better in terms of knowing, okay, like we didn't, we, we're not at the place we hope to be at the end of Trevor Lawrence's third season. Or do you think maybe this in a way, could it have been good just in terms of like them maybe making more substantial changes? Like, like how do you feel about the Lawrence injury and how it impacted the final month of the year for Jacksonville? So I think the Lawrence injury impacts how the front office goes about their off season. Because this is not a this is not a normal Trevor Lawrence here. He rarely gets hurt. And when he does, he's always back. You know, like it's he got in 2022, he got his leg folded up by James Houston in Detroit. He was back the next week. That was the one major injury he had. This year he's had three injuries in the span of what five, six games. Right. And that is the problem. That is where you run into this guy is your franchise quarterback. This guy is a guy you're hitching your wagon to for the next seven to 10 years, you need to have him healthy. You need to keep him upright. That's going to be what changes. I'm I'm hoping it's what changes the talent acquisition portion of the offseason. You know now you got to get the offensive line fixed because mm-hmm. if he's not healthy, then you're not going to do anything. But there's also the, hey, maybe if Trevor doesn't get hurt, you know, they go on a more, a much different run. I think the Bengals game on Monday night mm-hmm. is much different if Trevor Lawrence doesn't hurt his ankle. Of no course, question. because CJ Beathard isn't playing. And maybe they drive down the field and score, you know. But I think the Lawrence injury might be good in terms of a wake-up call for the front office. I think they needed, I think they needed to miss the playoffs to kind of be like, hey, we have this great quarterback we need to actually help him out a little bit i think that's yeah. what the it's it's not exactly the same as it is in basketball but it's kind of the lebron carrying all the 
Cavaliers in the finals. <laughs> you can't you can't do that in football. You can't have this great prospect surrounded by things that just aren't helping him or his worst his worst traits will show up instead of instead of being the small like worst traits it is glaring holes gaping issues because everything now becomes if he does something bad it's a turnover or a negative play you have no margin for error within the offense and that's where i think the jaguars needed this wake up call to be like hey we got to keep this guy upright and we have to help him out a little bit Mm-hmm. So finish up here with my final question, JP. Your Trent Balky uh, gets distracted and gets locked in a room for the entire offseason. You are given control of the cap, control of the roster. What's on your shopping list, your realistic shopping list for the offseason to get the Jags to where they need to be in 2024? So the first thing is you have to get a you have to get a center. I think Luke Fortner was the major weak point along this Jaguars offensive line. Of course, there was some rotation at guard. Brandon Scherf wasn't what he used to be. He was injured a lot. And even Anton Harrison played fantastic as a rookie. He hurt his shoulder, but Luke Fortner was very much the weak link. You need to go find the center. I'm hoping it's through free agency instead of the draft. I think they can draft a guard or they can draft a tackle and move him to guard. That's something that Doug Peterson did a lot in Philadelphia. You know, you think of guys like Troy Fatanu from Washington, a guy that brings a little bit of oomph in the run game. They need someone who can give them a little bit more punch in that area. The next thing is you need you need a serviceable third pass rusher. You need somebody who will actually be, let you be versatile with Trevon Walker. That was the big key for why you drafted him number one. You can move him around, but you can't do that because you have Caleb Von Chison playing all the time. Mm-hmm. So you go get a third edge rusher. I think depth in the secondary, I think Rayshon Jenkins ends up being a, being a guy who's let go. He had a really, really bad back half of this year. Missed mm-hmm. tackles, busted coverages. It just was not pretty for him. You need to insulate the spine of that defense to help out Devin Lloyd and Foya Oluokun, who – Foye really kind of held his defense together like the Spider-Man meme. He was really just like <laughs> keeping everything in place. You need to get a safety. You need to get some depth back there. Antonio Johnson actually played really well in the nickel as a fifth round pick. I think that's a good thing. And then it's just, it's filling out the auxiliary positions. It's filling out, hey, get, an, get another receiver who can be kind of the verticality, who brings the verticality to this offense. You need someone who can, open up the area for Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram to operate. You you're hoping for some development from Britton strange who fell from tight end two in this offense to barely getting snaps. You know, you're going to need that development. The whole goal of drafting Britton strange was you were going to live in 12 and 13 personnel and be able to mash teams in the run game, but he could not play. He couldn't be a consistent player in this offense. So you need to get development from him. And really, it's just you need depth up front, especially along the interior. You need you need to be able to have guys who can withstand a full season, because, again, like you said, you've lost the leeway that you've gotten with making the playoffs the first year. You know, the hope was, hey, we're in a division where everybody's got a young quarterback. It might take a little bit of time. 
it's not taking a little bit of time anymore. Nope. The Texans just did this with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach. Now you have to go change. And even the Colts, the Colts were on the cusp of making the playoffs without their mega yes. quarterback. Like this, this becomes the most crucial offseason for the Jaguars in possibly my lifetime. And I know that's not saying much, but it's my lifetime. And it's going to be important for them to look and say, we need to make changes, substantial changes to the Frank, the foundation of this team, the, mm -hmm. the spine of this defense, the spine of the offense. You need to make some substantial changes there because you no longer have that ability to say we're good in a division full of teams with a lot of question marks. Now you're the team with question marks. Now you have to climb back up that mountain. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, where can people check out your thoughts on the Jaguars, but also, of course, your thoughts on the broader NFL? Of course, my my work is at SB Nation. I'm on Twitter at Acosta32 underscore JP. I'm on threads sometimes. I have a column, Establish the Fun, every Friday where I talk about things that I find fun in football, whether it be Liberty's offense running the triple option or maybe mm -hmm. Joe Flacco looking like an amazing quarterback off play action at 39 years <laughs> old. It's, it's whatever's fun in football. I'm probably going to be talking about it, but follow at SB Nation, see where I'm going. Awesome. JP, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks so much to JP Acosta. I've been meaning to have him on for a while now. And I wish, like I said, it was under better circumstances, maybe a happier end to the Jag season, but thought he was really insightful uh, on coaching stuff and also on the Jag. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. We have more audio coming later this week. I believe we're going to do some kind of playoff preview, some kind of playoff thoughts uh, as we approach the, the wild card weekend. So plenty of football still to come, still another month or so of football. I can't do the math in my head on how many games we have left, but sadly only a few left, but we're going to be talking about pretty much all of them here on the Bill Barnwell Show.